Well, one of the common myths, and I was accused of this for many, many years, when I would say to someone, I'm a compassionate leader. Oh, Donato, that's weak leadership. That is a bunch of malarkey. It is not, you know, weak leadership. And the reality is that you're not going to be viewed as too nice or get walked over because I introduced the concept of the three T's. And the three T's are very simple. Start off with tenderness. The tenderness will get you the trust. And then you can be tenacious. Too many leaders start off with tenacity and they go around with a pooper scooper. They have to pick up the mess and they've lost the trust. And so this is why it's not weak leadership, because you still have to make tough decisions. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast. My name is Marcel Schwantes. I'm an executive coach, speaker, Inc. Magazine contributing editor, and the creator of the From Boss to Leader Servant Leadership course. Glad you're here. This is the only show that explores the role that love plays in a business context and how actionable love and care in the workplace will lead to good business outcomes and even business profit. And that's no joke. And this episode will back up that statement. So stick around. And by the way, please share the episode with someone in a leadership role. And if you like today's show, would you do us a quick favor? Go to iTunes and drop us a quick review. We would be grateful for that act of kindness. So if you're a longtime listener of this show, you already know that one of the practical tenets of love and action is compassion. I've featured several guests who've written best-selling books on compassion, who you know have talked about the science of compassion and, and how compassion is a difference maker in the workplace. So from a leadership standpoint, and I don't say this lightly, folks, you simply cannot, cannot be an effective leader in, in the purest sense of the word without exercising compassion. But, you know, compassion is still a very misunderstood topic in leadership. So we're going to put our focus today on the practice of compassion because our guest has a lot to say about this. I'm going to be talking to Donato Tributo in a few minutes to discuss his new book, the double bottom line, how compassionate leaders captivate hearts and deliver results. Based on decades of experience, numerous studies and original research, Donato Tomuto discovered a compassionate leadership gap. But the research also finds that most leaders have this innate desire to be more compassionate, but many don't really know how to put it into practice. Now, I can't wait to get into this because Donato and I are going to talk about many things, including, well, if you're a skeptic, why compassionate leadership is, is not a sign of weakness. And we're also going to uncover some myths of compassionate leadership, and we'll discuss why empathy is not enough. So a little bit about my guest, Donato Tremuto is a global health activist, former CEO of Tivity Health, and founder of the Tremuto Foundation and Health e-Villages. He has nearly four decades of business leadership experience, 
and is most notable for his ability to balance transactional and transformational leadership within organizations. He has launched two successful startups, successfully led the turnaround of a public healthcare company, and has executed innovative programs leading to sustainable business results through his compassionate leadership approach. Tremuto was the recipient of the prestigious Robert F. Kennedy Ripple of Hope Award in 2014 and the 2017 Robert F. Kennedy Embracing His Legacy Award. The New York Times has recognized Tremuto as, quote, a global health activist, and he now joins us. Donato, pleasure and honor and welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Thank you very much for having me here today. An honor to be here. You know, it, likewise, honors all mine. And before we dive into your work and your research, you have such a compelling story. So we, we love to start the show by letting our listeners learn a little bit about Donato Tremuto, the person. So what's your story? Well, first of all, I really do appreciate you asking that uh, that question as the opening question. Anyone who knows me knows that I never when I meet someone for the first time, do I get into what they do? I want to know why they do what they do, because everyone has a story. And I'm about to share with you my story, and it's no better or no worse. I'm a product of having lost most of my hearing at age eight. For nearly 10 years, I had limited hearing and a severe speech impediment. I was bullied by family and friends, uh, failed the fifth grade when I had a twin brother who had advanced uh, ahead of me. And it was a challenging time. And um, uh, during that period, I lost my my dear brother in a car accident, my sister-in-law in childbirth. My mother lost uh, my youngest brother um, at birth. And so we had a lot of uh, challenges growing up. No uh, perhaps different uh, than, you know, a typical family in America. However, I share that story with you because so many people look at my life today and they don't realize that we all have a story behind where we are currently. And for me, I think the notion of compassion was developed during those dark years when I couldn't speak or couldn't hear yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, everything about you speaks of compassion. And so I want to sh- also shed some light on on the organization you founded. I already mentioned it on my in my intro, which bears your name, the Tremuto Foundation. You know, there's a heartfelt story there as well behind how this or- organization started. You want to tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. And by the way, uh, we just changed the name of the organization to the Tremuto Porter Organization. I have been fortunate to be with a wonderful person for the last 30 years, and um, uh, we um, have been in a partnership. uh, So it is now the Tremuto Porter Foundation. But it started as a result of the tragedy on 9-11. I was scheduled to be on the second flight, uh, United 175, that left Boston for LA, I had taken that flight nearly every week. Uh, the company that I had launched in 1997, 98 was based in LA. And my two friends and their beautiful son, they were staying at the summer home of my partner and, um, and my home in Ogunquit, Maine. 
And they were originally supposed to leave out of Rhode Island. We, uh, I talked them to leave out of Boston because I was going to leave on September 11th. However, a toothache, a simple toothache, the day before brought me to my dentist in Boston, who was near the Boston Logan Airport. And I said to myself, I'm in Boston. Why not just leave later that evening on the night of September 10th? And I called my friends and said, listen, I have an idea. Let's leave on Monday. They said, Donato, we already changed our flight once for you. We're not going to change it again. And so now you know the rest of the story. I saved my life by making a decision based on a toothache to go out on the evening of September 10th. My friends kept their flight on September 11th and lost their lives when the plane hit the South Tower. Uh, and so that was just an enormous, and I write about this in my first book, uh, Life's Bulldozer Moments. That was a significant bulldozer moment. But rather than have hatred in my heart, which I think that if I had taken a different course and had bitterness, I think people would have understood that that was the culmination of so many other tragedies that took place in my life. However, Jeff and I decided that we would channel the evilness of that day into doing good. And we launched the Tremuto Porter Foundation in the fall of 2001. And we have now helped hundreds of young children realize their dreams for an education and to do good in the world. We've helped hundreds of organizations to deliver on their vision to make the world more just and fair. And so I have to tell you that if any uh, accomplishment and achievement in my life brings me great joy and pride. It is what we have done through the Tremuto Porter Foundation and Healthy Villagers. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I love the really a, a, the kind of a, a personal turnaround story for you. And the fact that you were able to recover from that and not hold that bitterness, like you said, that internal anger that people sometimes don't recover from and they hold it inside them. So, I mean, I'm sure the healing process was amazing for you, uh, having learned so many things that led you to this point as well. Yeah. It, and I think that the message for those who are listening, and that's why I think compassion is so part of my life. I don't think I was always fully compassionate. I think the benefit of having done this book is that when we finally came up with the definition of what compassion is, I was able to look at my look back at my life in the last 20 years, in the last 30 years, and I was really pleased that most of the time I really did lead with compassion according to the definition that we defined in the book and that made me feel good and I was very uh, warmed. My heart was warmed by the notion that you can teach compassion. You can learn compassion and you can get better at it. I know I did. Yeah. So speak to the definition. And by the way, don't give the punchline with the research because I really want to like dig into the research. But without getting into that yet, how would you define it in your own words? I mean, what is compassion and what is a compassionate leader? Well, definition is very simple. Compassionate leadership is empathy in action. It is no longer good enough to say, I feel your pain. And so many people do that. They'll say, yeah, you know, I, I, I feel bad that there are people out there who are hungry and they don't do anything. And the definition that we extracted uh, was very simple. 
It's empathy in action. And by the way, if you want, I always feel that in order to understand the definition, well, you have to kind of negate it. And if you look at right now what's going on with the war in Ukraine, we have one leader who's clearly using compassion and understanding the pain that his people are going through. But we have another leader who lacks the empathy. And what we've learned, when you lack empathy, you lose your ability to adopt your approach because you can't see further than your own point of view. And that's why if you use empathy, you will listen to the pain and you will listen to the perspectives that other people bring to the table. Yeah. And that's what you mentioned in the book, that empathy these days is just not enough, right? Because empathy is quite the buzz term these days in, in the leadership realm. So empathy with action equals compassion. Is that right? Absolutely. The yeah. late U.S. Congressman John Lewis said it very well. When you see something wrong, you must do something. You must say something. And that takes courage. And, you know, as you know, in the book, we identified you know, a variety of components that are associated with compassion and leadership. And one is clearly courage. You have to have courage. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, let's dive into this research. So set it up for us. I mean, what, what did you set out to find? I know there was two part. There was the survey and then there was the interviews with top global leaders. Well, and I'm glad you bring that up because I have to be perfectly upfront that we initially had only planned to interview 10 of our, you know, leaders who contributed to the book, and we ended up, you know, interviewing 41. So there are 41 world leaders that have been interviewed. And by the way, they represent America. They're not just celebrity, you know, CEOs or, you know, you know, political leaders. But the other nuance that we brought to this project, and I didn't approach it thinking I would do this, is that we surveyed 1,500 individuals across the United States. And the reason why we did that is that we wanted to compare the survey data to the control group. And that's why this is not compassionate leadership according to Donato. The compassionate leadership that we break down in terms of how you can be a compassionate leader is based on data. And those of you who are data um, junkies, you will enjoy the book, give you one data point. More than 80% of individuals want, uh, excuse me, the majority of people we interview want to be more compassionate. Yet what we learned is 80% of those who want to be more compassionate just don't know how. And I think this is why this book is not just a book. It's a reference book. Yeah. I'm going to touch on just a, a few stats for our, our listeners. So 84% of the workers surveyed believe that a compassionate workplace encourages cooperation, which leads to greater productivity and profitability. 68% though, believe the workplace is more competitive than cooperative. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, and so that's very scary. And, and, and let me tell you why. If in fact, we all believe, as the survey pointed out, that leading with compassion drives a cooperative workplace. Well, imagine what you can get done. I talk about the term, the higher your collaborative IQ, the more you can get done. Yet, what we're finding is the workforce is still competitive. And, you know, I always would say, be competitive outside. That's where you want your competition. You don't want it inside. And so there is still, and I think that was the real, what I call, 
nuggets coming out of the book is that there is an enormous gap from what the senior leaders are believing versus what the survey group are telling us. And so this should help tremendously for those who are in leadership position. And by the way, this is not just for business leaders. We can use this model with our politicians. We can use this model in our own families. How many families, uh, I was at a college yesterday for a book signing, and how many families came up to me and said, you know what, our children are competitive. And what you just taught me is that's probably not good. And it's not because it then usurps your ability to be collaborative and to be cooperative. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to bring the title back, okay, because not everybody may know what the double bottom line is. I mean, every leader, every CEO knows what a bottom line is, but what do you mean by the double bottom line? Well, it's a great question. And, you know, what we're saying, listen, I ran a public company, so I understand the forces of analysts and Wall Street and shareholders and I ran private companies. And so I understand the importance that you have to deliver the profits. You have to deliver the goods. But the double bottom line says it doesn't have to be an or. It should be an and. You can be profitable and you can insert a soul into the company where people are also put as the top constituents in what you do as a leader. And so this is why we call it the double bottom line. And uh, I love the subtitle, how you can captivate hearts and deliver results at the same time. Yeah. So Donato, every time I bring somebody to talk about compassionate leadership, we always have to kind of dispel the myths. So you got, you got a few myths there on the book as well. So let's talk a little bit about, let's clear it up. What are some myths? Well, one of the common myths, and I was accused of this for many, many years, when I would say to someone, I'm a compassionate leader. Oh, Donato, that's weak leadership. That is a bunch of malarkey. It is not, you know, weak leadership. And the reality is that you're not going to be viewed as too nice or get walked over because I introduced the concept of the three T's. And the three T's are very simple. Start off with tenderness. The tenderness will get you the trust, and then you can be tenacious. Too many leaders start off with tenacity, and they go around with a pooper scooper. They have to pick up the mess, and they've lost the trust. And so this is why it's not weak leadership, because you still have to make tough decisions. I have to share with you a funny story that happened to me about six, seven months ago. I was in my um, uh, summer uh, vacation town, and um, Uh, Someone walked by me and uh, basically said, hi, Donato. And I didn't recognize the person. And I was a little bit puzzled. And uh, I said, oh, I don't recognize. Oh, they said, you you fired me 20 years ago. And I said, oh, my God, this is not going to be a great encounter. And the individual said, no, 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 no. You terminated me, but you did it with grace and dignity. And you helped me transition that my last 20 years has been the best 20 years of my career. And so there is an example of using tenderness to get the trust, and then you can make the tough decision. So it's not weak leadership at all. I love it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to get into the how of compassion and offer you guys some tips and strategies to building a more uh, more compassionate workplace. So hang tight. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You probably already know this if you've been following the show. The question comes up often, 
What's the purpose of this show? What's the why behind love in action? Well, the simple answer? We need to eliminate suffering in the workplace and help leaders to flourish. Because when we have good leaders in place, the people under their care also flourish. That is really good for business. And by the way, as an extension of the podcast, I launched a leadership development course. It's got a catchy name. Check it out on my website. It's called From Boss to Leader. And in this course, I teach the skills that you often hear on the show. Things like how to communicate more effectively, how to engage your employees to put out their best effort, and how to build a high-performing organization. So check it out. I'm taking calls right now, and I'd love to personally chat with you to see if this course may be a good fit. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com and click on virtual training. Donato, before we get into some compassion practices, what would you say, it's not a flip of the switch, right? I mean, there's got to be something there that leads to compassion. Is there like a secret sauce to compassionate leadership? Well, I think that there are a number of nuggets. You know, the one is what we learned is that you have to be willing to be vulnerable and you have to be authentic. You know, I'm going to share with you for many years, I never shared with anybody about my hearing loss. I never shared with anyone that I uh, was one of the few gay CEOs running companies in healthcare. You would think that that would be okay. And in 2014, I had received, you've mentioned it, the you know, honor of the Robert F. Kennedy Ripple of Hope Award, along with Hillary Clinton and Tony Bennett and Robert De Niro. Don't ask me how I got into that group. <laughs> and as I was getting on stage, Hillary spoke before me, and it was my turn to get up on stage. And I'm, I never, ever revealed my partner, who we've been together for 30 years. And as I was walking to the podium, I had about 400 employees in the crowd out of 2,500 people. I said to myself, you're about ready to receive a human rights award, and you are embarrassed to announce that you've been with somebody all those years. And so I got up there. I got off script. I introduced Jeff. Everyone got out of their chair and applauded. And afterwards, you'll enjoy the little humor to this. My employees came up to me and said, oh, my God, it makes you more interesting now. And the reality is, I wish I would have known that you can't understand the pain of other people until they know what you've been through, until they know what you are enduring day in and day out. And I have a reality check that came out of the book is that we have more in common with one another than we have in terms of what separates us. And one of the components of compassionate leadership is your willingness to be vulnerable, your willingness to self-reflect every day. When I left my office and I went home and had dinner, before I got into bed, I did a self-reflection of what I did and didn't do during the day and where I may have unintentionally, because I do believe when we hurt people, it's unintentional, but where did I unintentionally hurt somebody today? And the next day I went back and I corrected it. And so those are the key components to compassionate leadership. We have to be willing to examine our own lives, be willing to share our own stories before we engage in the stories of other people, and then be willing to walk the talk. 
Mm. Set the example, basically. Yeah. Yeah, For others and model it. Well, I can tell you this, you know, in 2014, I would have been, you know, 50, um, 54 years old. Uh, Excuse me, uh, 58 years old. I wish I would have known that before because the pain that I endured in trying to keep my life a secret from so many people, at the end of the day, people really don't criticize those who are are, are are struggling themselves are not going to criticize you. They're dealing with their own pain. And I wish I would have known that because it would have opened up so much more of a deeper relationship with my employees. But long and short, I did it. At least I did it at some point. And so when I became CEO of a public company a year later, I had made a totally different approach. And guess what? I was more successful uh, in those four and a half years that I ran a public company than I had been in the previous 35 years, yet I did have success during those years as well. Speaking of running a public company or a private company, or even, you know, whatever it is, a healthcare organization, a, a, a government agency, not every organization is set up for this. I mean, some may have obstacles in a way, but they may not even know what those obstacles are. So what would you tell an executive team to, you know, stop doing Uh, that may get in the way of building a more compassionate culture? Well, you must stop this hierarchical notion that you're the CEO and that everything, you know, you know, you know, centers around you in terms of failure or success that that is out. The second we have to realize is the average age of the CEO in America is 59 years old. By the way, that is the same age of our elected officials in Washington. And we are hiring in the same mode, we are hiring C-suites in their 50s. We are hiring according to how we look. And so we have to get to a much more diverse workforce. Five generations make up the workforce today. And the Gen Zers and the millennials are soon going to represent 60 to 65% of the entire workforce. And by the way, this new notion of the great resonation, I don't like the term resonation. I'm calling it the great reflection. People are reflecting on their lives. They want more. They just don't want a paycheck. And so we have got to be willing now to listen to all levels of the demographics that make up our workforce. And that's why, if you you know recall in the book, I devote a significant amount of pages to the listening model that I think we have to employ. We have to listen to understand, not listen to react. There's been too much reaction. Oh, that person is 23 years old. I'm not going to you know, listen to their viewpoint. We need to listen and understand. You know, and I've lived this. You know, a few years ago, I hired a 23-year-old manager for our Tremuto Porter Foundation. Historically, I would have hired somebody in their 50s. Somebody, and I'll tell you, that was the best decision that I made. But hiring just for the sake of hiring somebody in their 20s doesn't work. Catherine has full um, uh, input into the organization. I have to share with you, her ideas far exceed some of the ideas that I come up with. So those variables, and I can go on and on and on, but those variables have to change. And we have to be willing to have a much more diverse executive team than what's happening right now. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. And by the way, I want to touch on the diversity part, but let me let me bring this to the forefront of our discussion. So I'm a firm believer that the most engaged workplaces are those 
where, you know, people feel connected to one another. And that doesn't happen overnight. You know, they need to spend time together, learn about each other's lives. You know, there's emotional investment there that helps people to look after one another and help one another, right? And work better together. So you, you talk about that in the book. So to me, this is a place that feels like community, right? It feels like family. So, and I'm mentioning this because, well, you know, you have these, these compassion-driven keys to building community at work. And I love it because, I mean, I coach leaders on these keys myself. And, uh, and it, to me, it's a great template for creating community. So let's uncover a couple of those for the sake of time. What would be a good one for you that you feel is, is really important? Well, I think what you want to do is distill that community down to what are workers looking for? They're working for work-life balance. They want their leaders to be authentic and show it's okay to be human and imperfect. They want to be part of something bigger. They want to have purpose in their jobs. They want to belong and have a sense of community. Remember, you don't leave your value, your personal values at the doorstep of your home when you leave in the morning. You then go into your workforce and they want those values to be incorporated into something bigger. And they want their leaders to care about their well-being. A few weeks ago, one of our Tremuda Porter Foundation laureates who received a scholarship a number of years ago had called me and said, I need to share this story with you. He joined this new company. He was there for six weeks. The boss wanted him to work on a Saturday, and he said, I cannot. I'm hosting a bachelor party, but I can work on Sunday. Do you know what the boss said to him? Mm. He said, you are worthless. He said, I don't even know why I hired you, why I'm giving you the salary. Who would say that? That doesn't have any sense of community, any sense of respect for what that individual might be going through on a Friday night. And so... I don't think this is rocket you know, science. I think that we have got to get back to the basics, and that is leading from the heart, leading with passion, leading by caring for your employees. Yeah. So I'm going to bring back diversity. So I love the fact that you cite research from, I think it was a Fast Company uh, article where they, they talk about how the more women we find at the top of the C-suite positions, the greater the return to shareholders. I want you to make the link between compassionate leadership and, and diversity there. Connect the two for us. Well, and first of all, I think we have to define that compassion is not just, excuse me, that diversity is not just what I think we have always seen in the paper. And that is, you know, make sure you have a balance you know, between men and women and black and white. It's just not that alone. It's also about age. It's also about the generational diversity that we need to have inside the organization. And why is that good for the organization? Well, let's look just today at the trend of how your brand is hitting populations that we now know that the Gen Zers are the generation of minimalists. And so they don't want big homes. They don't want fancy cars. Wouldn't that be helpful to have somebody on the team that can help you understand how you brand and how you market? The other thing, too, that I think is very, very important is that each generation brings a new level of understanding, empathy, and compassion. And having that level of diversity and experience is critical toward developing the kind of trust in the organization. 
By the way, I also challenge in the book that culture no longer eats strategy for breakfast and lunch. That is out. Trust. When you have developed a diverse workforce, you're sending a signal in the organization that you care about every generation. You care about every single person, regardless of their age, creed, or sexual orientation. You care about the notion that we are going to live by example to embrace everyone. And so it creates an enormous cohesiveness around this notion that we are more similar then we are different. And I think that leaders have a leaders have a platform and they should use that platform accordingly. Yeah, yeah. So we've been talking a lot about compassionate leadership to benefit others, to benefit the organization. But, you know, there's also a, a personal benefit as well, right? I mean, compassion is just good for our emotional and, and mental well-being, is it not? Absolutely. Let me give you a great example. Yeah. A few years ago, uh, toward the end of my tenure as a CEO, I was on a plane and the plane had not taken off. And so I had a quick conference call with my executives to address a problem. And this one executive, I had tried to use the tenderness to get the trust. Well, then I had to be very tenacious because she was quite aggressive on the phone and it was disrupting other people. And I had to take a firm approach. Well, then the doors of the plane closed and we ended up taking off. For the next three hours, I felt terrible. I said, okay, I probably should not have corrected her in front of the other executives. And for three hours, I was not a happy camper. And when that plane landed, for my own well-being, for the sake of me going home at night and not taking it out on my family, I ended up calling this individual and I apologized to her. She started crying and saying, I've never had a CEO who has apologized to me. She said, I need to apologize to you. Before you knew it, we were back to where we had been before. But I helped my well-being. I didn't wallow over it for days and weeks. It was over with. I apologize. I believe I was wrong. I learned from it. And that individual was very respectful. And by the way, she apologized. She realized what she had done wrong. And so it is good for your own well-being not to have that level of tension and that level of doubt that will exist if, in fact, you haven't corrected a situation that you know might be, you know, wrong. Mm -hmm. All right. As we wind down here, and I hate that we are because I wish we had more time, but we have this tradition where we talk about or ask the love leadership question. And it's funny because this is right up your alley. It's right up my alley. So there shouldn't be a a question you're going to struggle with, (laughs) as some of our guests do. But In your own words, how do we lead with love day in and day out? I think that's easy for me. I think that it's very easy to see in someone who is authentic and who cares about you. That is very easy to see. Maya Angelou, uh, the great poet and ambassador of human souls, once said, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did but they will never, ever forget how you made them feel. And that's what love is. We are living in unprecedented times. Never before in our you know, recent history have we seen so much division and so much you know, challenges before our young and old population. And so showing love, caring about people, expressing your concern in terms of their own stories and keeping them relevant, that's not difficult. And you could start every day by when you meet somebody new, 
Use the question, tell me about your story. Tell me about your life. And you will be surprised how that one question will open up an enormous love interaction between you and the other person. Yeah. Well, we bring it home with two questions, Donato. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like us to know? I am very concerned about the new chronic condition of the 21st century called loneliness and social isolation. I am very, very concerned. You know, the toxic effects of loneliness is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We were already experiencing this before the pandemic, and now we have put it on steroids. It's no longer with the older population. It's with our younger population. And that's why I am very warmed by the success of this book. I think that compassion, uh, kindness is by far the new currency of the new century. And so we need to work together to address this loneliness and social isolation issue. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, you get to bring us home your way with a closing remark or a key takeaway to keep us inspired. I will leave this with you is that, you know, I've had a motto in life and it's my own quote that life is not about doing one great thing. It's about doing many little things that have the capacity to drive great change. If I try to wake up in the morning, you know, thinking that I have to do, you know, something big, I will never get out of bed. And so to those who are listening, wake up every day and think about a small thing you can do for one another, for your family and friends or your employees. And that will, in fact, express a normal tidal uh, wave of change and, 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 and commitment around compassion. Yes. The book, again, is called The Double Bottom Line. And by the way, Donato, I'm intrigued by this. 100% of the book's proceeds will be donated to compassion-driven organizations. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And we define those seven organizations. We define the organizations in the book. And so you're absolutely correct. Fantastic. If people want to connect with you and learn more about you or find the book, where can they go? Very easy. DonatoTremuto.com. In fact, uh, we don't see this book as a one-off book. It's a movement. We have several universities that are now working with us to establish a compassionate leadership curriculum in their universities around the book. We have podcasts like this one today that's on our website. So please join the movement. So glad that I found you. Uh, we are much, much aligned in our core missions and pur purpose in life. So I really appreciate you uh, joining us today. Well, likewise. Um, thank you very, very much. That wraps it up. Thank you, Love and Action Tribe, for joining the conversation. And you can keep the conversation going on social media with hashtag Love in Action Podcast. And look for my show notes on my website. I'll make sure to include Donato's information there. And you can find that on my website, marcelschwantes.com. And finally, hey, if you're interested in sponsoring an episode of the show, we're always looking for sponsors to help spread the Love in Action movement globally. If you have an interest, reach me on my website or find me on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.